Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, this is Emma Whitfield, account manager at the Webby Awards. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that the call for entries for the 23rd annual Webby Awards is open. This year, we've added an entire suite of voice honors from technical achievement to productivity. And we have new categories across podcasts, games, branded entertainment, social content series and campaigns, and more. We're so excited to honor your work. So head on over to webbyawards.com to get in on early entry pricing before the deadline on Friday, October 26th. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Is Drake? Drake in the house? Hey, welcome back. Today we're talking to Sarah Papalardo and Beth Newell. They're the brilliant founders of the Webby-winning comedy site, The Reductress. Sarah and Beth started The Reductress in 2013 to satirize the way women are typically treated in the media and to do so through a feminist lens. Their infamous headlines that mock everything from typical magazine relationship advice to bro culture have cemented The Reductress as a staple in internet humor. The site's sharp commentary is not only funny, it's especially relevant and necessary in the era of Me Too. We touch on that along with how the internet can be used to hold public figures accountable and how Sarah and Beth are bringing the site's feminist lens to upcoming TV projects with Comedy Central. According to Beth, they met while doing sketch comedy and were connected by what was lacking in the program. Um, so Sarah and I met doing sketch sketch comedy at the Magnet Theater. Um, I had been teaching there and managing sketch teams and just noticing that there wasn't a lot of women in the program. So I had run some workshops for women to try to get them more involved and gain some confidence to just at least try it. And I was just noticing in the room that so many jokes were playing really well amongst a room full of women that weren't necessarily playing well in the sketch teams that Sarah and I were on where we'd be uh, one of one or two women in the room. And so that sort of just started to marinate in my mind until I came up with the idea for Reductress. And what were the what type of jokes were playing well? The same type of stuff that we would read on Reductress today, or yeah, like the same type of thing. I mean, you know, it, it's it'll sound dumb in retrospect, but just you know, stuff about tampons and marketing towards women, and uh, you know, um, the way you know a makeup person might speak to you or a costume designer, just like. Any sort of women-oriented experience was... Yeah, and a lot of that was just like the way in which women were being marketed to was the source of our frustration and fascination. And I don't think that um, a lot of men 
kind of were exposed to that in the way that we were. So I think a lot of those pitches in the room kind of fell to deaf ears, not because it wasn't funny, but because they didn't really know what we were referencing all the time. So that's kind of where Reductress came from. And then um, we took a few months and a few friends to write up like 50 or 60 articles and build out the site. And, um, and then we launched like four months later. And what was like, I mean, if you were to describe the world of like internet humor at that time, you know, like what was popular or, or what, what did you feel like you were competing against anything or? I mean, the onion was definitely popular and like the biggest reference point in terms of satire. Um, but we never, I mean, I wouldn't say that we were ever in competition with them because they were such a, an institution and so much bigger. Yeah. I mean, there are sites out there like Funny or Die or Comedy, uh, sorry, College Humor. And a lot of those sites just had way more resources than us. So we weren't really seeing ourselves in direct competition with them at the time. We were just sort of trying to do this little thing that we were felt passionate about. So what was the, I mean, do you think women's media has changed since you started doing that? Since you started the site? Yeah. Like what you're essentially satirizing on, not the only thing, but some of the things you're satirizing is sort of women's media and how companies market to women. Do you think that's that's changed? It's definitely started to evolve. I mean, we one of the things we were poking fun at at the time was these dove ads that were meant to empower women, but they were still sort of pointing out our flaws and trying to sell us cream to smooth out our wrinkles and everything. So that... And those were like really actually... A, a, like heralded they yeah. were sort of like they weren't made fun of they were actually most of the women's groups and feminism I think that there was a lot of like oh this is so great these ads yeah it was considered really progressive at right. the time which I think we we have always been in the business of trying to poke fun at things that are like patting themselves on the back a little too heavily and particularly when they're in the interest of making money uh, yeah <laughs> and and yeah I think things definitely have gotten better and I think even just like journalism and writing about women has changed so much and um, has been more inclusive of, you know, people who aren't just white women. But um, yeah, I mean, along the way, there's still definitely been plenty of things to kind of poke fun at or call into question, like the commercialization of feminism, like the way that we slap the idea of feminism on a t-shirt and sell it for $40 now and, you know, what that means in terms of progress. So yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, we, we're obviously not the only ones who have been commenting on the this feminist discussion or, or lack of it that's been happening in the world. And so the feminism has obviously become, become more mainstream in the last few years, which in some ways makes our lives easier because we don't have to explain concepts like rape culture as much in order to get a joke across. But then at the same time, there's this like monolith of white feminism that t now deserves its own critique. So. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I was going to ask you was, it seems like when you first started Reductress, you were one of the beginnings of a voice that was really criticizing or satirizing um, some of the stuff you're doing, what you're satirizing. But now it seems like there's a lot more out there doing that. Is it is it di like you're sort of like the pioneer, but now you're more in a community, I would say. Is that is that true? Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of people, journalists and bloggers and you know, feminists talking about these issues. It was just sort of we made it more of a pop culture reference point in the comedy world, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that like magazine satire was an easy reference point in like 2012 or 2013. Like a lot of people still thought satire equals the onion or news and things like that. So yeah. I think, you know, maybe we gave permission to um, like satirize this stuff in different ways and different formats. 
And um, it, it was being commented on in different TV shows, like Amy Schumer's right. show and 30 Rock. It's just, it would be, you know, more of an occasional thing. And it was just the fact that we made it our main thing, I think, was a little bit new to take on. But so is it, what's it like, is it, what's it like for you now to not, you know, to not be the only one as much or, I mean, it's not as if like all of culture has changed or something, but. I mean, I think it's good. I think it honestly just gives us more to discuss now that there's more people in the discussion. Yeah. I think part. it just, it broadens our audience, which is nice. Yeah. There's more people who can grasp onto it a little bit better. Um, yeah. One thing I thought would be just in case there was like listeners who hadn't gone to the, gone to reductress recently. And uh, if I get I just pulled some headlines here, which I thought would be helpful for anybody who hasn't visited the site recently that maybe you would unpack a bit for us if that's okay. Sure. Um, this one I liked a lot. This brave man hates social media, which hunts so much. He decided to start his own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't write it, but I could say that was definitely inspired by real-life interactions on Facebook and Twitter. What's funny is a lot of those headlines, they s seem very hyper-topical at the time, and then they become very perennial over time. Yeah, I think yeah. that was written pre-Me Too and, um, you know, kind of managed to become more relevant as time went on. <laughs> um, another one, I'm not rude, I'm just unwilling to make conversations to be polite. I think this is a pretty recent one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> relatable yeah yeah i think that was one too where i think at first it was like directed at like the man was uh the focal point and i'm like oh this isn't even a gendered thing like everybody does this this is just like a millennial issue so i read when i read this i thought this was directed at guys who do that mm. is that that's is that right not necessarily no. No. i mean no. i think okay. the I think the original Does it seem like a guy thing to do to just sort of sit there and like, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, know. I feel like this one's a read on me specifically. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, incredible. This woman owns 19 identical pair of black tights and one decent bra. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, re relatable. Yep. <laughs> Ten years ago, we used to like read The Onion and when people used to say, it seemed like the lines between reality and satire were blurring. I mean, and that was like 10 years ago. Today, mm -hmm. I mean, not only are they blurring, they've like completely crossed and it's totally <laughs> unclear sometimes. Um, how is it harder to write satire on the Internet now in the world that we live in, especially here in the United States? Um, I mean, I think that, you, you know, it keeps you on your toes a little bit more when you know you have to be so much more specific to make a critique about something nowadays. Like you can't just be wacky because like our entire administration is already just wacky for wacky's sake. So, I mean, I think if anything, it just asks us to be a little more specific and work a little harder, but. Yeah, it's definitely hard with someone like Trump, who's obviously so absurd. You can't heighten that in order to parody it, but we've also never really like made him our bread and butter because so many other people are covering him. We try to find something a little bit more nuanced to look at in terms of the people who are, enabling him directly or indirectly yeah i think like if anything that's changed that like we're dealing with directly it's like the gravity of um what it means to be a woman right now post me too and things that maybe we could have been um a lot more playful with if we had an, a different president that are far more serious now um that we just need to take into consideration when we make jokes yeah i mean do you feel do you feel as if like there's all this pressure for you to satirize everything or to have a voice about everything given what's going on and sort of the role you're playing 
I mean, I feel I feel like there would be a sense of like always needing to be political, and it, 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 I don't think the site is always political. But does that is that like a pressure? Yeah, and I mean, we're not in the business of like reacting to what Trump did every day. Like, by all means, the Onion ha- can do that and should do that. <laughs> but um, I, I, you know, we can't filter every news story through the lens of Reductress and yeah. really be true to ourselves. So, um, you know, we discuss what's topical every day but we don't necessarily write about everything Mm -hmm. i think in in the midst of the election there was a lot of pressure for everyone in comedy to sort of be doing that but then it's almost like the election shattered a lot of our um ideas and expectations and uh, like personally i feel like it made me realize like oh like you cannot fix these things alone so that like in a weird way takes off some of the pressure because it's like it's egotistical to think that like my one headline is going to solve this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. Um, But I mean, at the same time, it's, you are, you know, you started uh, this site before all this stuff happened. And to some extent really drove a change in pop culture around these issues. And then these issues became like much more important. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not crazy to feel like you should be trying to be out there and yeah. doing something about it, right? That's I that think you just problem. have to see it as more of a long game. Like, I always say, like, we're not – no one's, like, changing baby boomers' minds these days. <laughs> like, if anything, we're maybe educating, you know, a 20-something college student who maybe hasn't heard a lot about rape culture. And yeah. this is sort of, like, giving them some tangible – like examples of that right like we're not really trying to comment on what's already being commented on so much but uncovering things that people may be experiencing but not talking about yet and kind of giving some language to that and that applies like to maybe not necessarily what trump does every day but kind of the like larger effects that this administration or this um atmosphere is having on women or anyone like that what was it like from your perspective, when the Me Too movement started and when all those accusations started coming out and when Harvey Weinstein was sort of exposed in the New York Times, what was like your office like and what was the discussion like and how did you react and start thinking about that and how has it changed? It's, uh, it's, has it changed the cover or the front page of the site? It's really weird because I think the comedy community was a little bit ahead of the curve on these things in terms of talking about them and outing some really problematic men in the community. So, you know, we had a really um, shocking incident in the New York comedy community where this man was had several rape accusations against him. And then there was a really problematic conversation that spiraled out of that in terms of people's reactions to it, most mostly men. And um, so we did a homepage takeover about rape culture on our site in August 2016, which is sort of predating the Me Too stuff. So when Me Too happened, I think we're sort of simultaneously like thrilled and horrified that it was coming out. But I don't every time one of these stories comes out, I don't think anyone is like I don't think many women are as shocked as you might think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we definitely were most affected in the office around the time that that within the comedy community had been happening because it directly affected people. Like one of our staff was sued by the man who um, was accused of rape. Um, She was sued by him for calling him a rapist um, on Facebook. And so like it it had a direct effect (laughs) on us, too. So, um, yeah. And I mean, around this time, I feel like there's so much swirling around us, you know, it's because it's the whole like the personal is political thing. You have like all this racism and sexism happening during the election, simultaneously experiencing microaggressions in your day to day life. And it's just sort of 
like a whirlwind around you. You're seeing your female friends or whoever being affected by it. And um, it's just, it's a lot. So when Me Too comes out at that point, you, I think we, a lot of us had already just experienced it on such a personal level that it was, it's shocking and triggering. And then, it, but at the same time, I don't know. It's just, we're ha- I think we're happy to be seeing it out in the light. Yeah, because now I think what we're seeing at the other end of this is that there's now an unwillingness to tolerate this kind of behavior in the workplace and things like that. And while it's not exactly fixed, we're actually seeing people facing consequences for their actions um, and kind of like a cultural understanding that like this is no longer okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There is something about about how this transpires and continues to transpire in the world of comedy that's um I don't want, that's not different but that's kind of interesting there's uh, you it there's seems like there's more discussion about it and maybe it's because it's a community of people who are more uh, vocal I'm not really sure um but it it seems like it's or, or maybe it's because it's a community of men who are you know more deceitful and awful than in other places. I'm not really sure, but yeah, I, I don't really buy. Me, you know, yeah, I don't like the generalization that men in comedy are like especially bad because I think men are in every industry are doing this, and it's just not being talked about enough. And I think it a lot of these, you know, like evolutions we've been having culturally recently, are like really come down to the internet and people being able to say things who couldn't say things before or get it out anonymous, anonymously or whatever. But I think. You know, women in comedy obviously have a little bit more of a voice. They have more followers online. They talk to each other. And I I don't want to give comedy too much credit, but it, I think, you know, humor is based in truth. And unfortunately, historically, that truth hasn't always been the real truth. It's been a version of the truth because it's been dominated by white men. But it's, uh, it is a tool, I think, to get information out there. Yeah, and I think when we see, you know, people who we regard as like universal truth tellers in comedy and to see the lengths at which they will cover up their own bad behavior and threaten people, like it completely undermines their entire <laughs> reason of being. So <laughs> it's um yeah, I mean, I mean it maybe does that's matter. why maybe it gets over oh, it gets covered a lot, maybe also because it's so shocking because these are people that are usually the ones who are calling everybody out exactly yeah yeah i mean these are like some of like the rock stars of our generation like it just you know people regard them so highly and i think you know it's it's obviously a harder conversation to have because in corporate america like there is a process for 
um, punishing bad behavior, but we don't exactly have that in the entertainment industry. It's not as simple. So I think it's become just so much more of a focal point um, and kind of like a philosophical question of like, how do we handle this now? Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about how some of these discussions are playing out in other industries because the I, a lot of people don't realize like if you report something to an HR department, the HR department works for the company, not for you. So yeah. that's not necessarily going to further your personal cause. And when you work in comedy, there is no HR department usually. So you're, it's sort of a blessing and a curse. And I think that's why some of this stuff is coming out because people feel like they have nowhere to turn. Yeah, right now we really only have the court of public opinion. And obviously that's not the best way to handle anything. <laughs> um, but it's all we have right, right. now. Tell me, so switch gears for a second. Tell me, you know, we talk about the site and about the comedy and about the role in pop culture, but you're also like running a media company in 2018. What's that? I mean, that's not easy. What's that like? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it has gotten increasingly uh, more difficult to make money off of the internet alone. Um, I mean, we've always thought of ourselves as like not just a website, but like, you know, a, a fully-fledged media company with different ways to make money. But I think that, like, the whole model has shifted in the past year or two. And, again, we weren't really surprised. Um, but, it, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that, like, the Internet can't be as fun as it used to be because there's just not as much of an incentive to put stuff up there. Yeah, we just try to diversify the revenue and we do events and different things and merch and all that which is like good good business sense anyway I think it's like again there's like a blessing and curse in being a very tiny company where you can be a little bit more agile and switch gears if you need to yeah yeah I mean you have two is it two podcasts now yeah we have one active one one active yeah one. the reductress minute which is not a minute by the way correct <laughs> yes it's at least of 15 that. of minutes yes. yeah <laughs> tell me about th tell me about what it was like to was that your first foray into I guess you had the other podcast before so that's I can answer that question for myself but mm -hmm. um, tell me what it's like to try and translate what you do on the site into audio and into that sort of more intimate experience yeah I our first podcast was definitely um, kind of like the most absurd end of reductress it was like two fictional reductress editors just kind of like talking about their day in this like kind of heightened surreal version of New York media. Um, and that was a lot of fun, but I think that was definitely like the farthest edges of our imagination of what Reductress was. And it was the most fun, but, um, our current podcast, the Reductress Minute, um, we wanted to make something that gave our readers who like drive to work a way to kind of digest Reductress articles without having to read them. So it's, um, a rundown of headlines, um, pieces read by celebrities and people in the comedy community, and then just like some weird, you know, old school radio bits that we like to put in. And you're producing the show, right? Yeah, we're both producing the show along with our staff in the office. And so, yeah, we, we get um, our writers and people to come in and read articles and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and you recently did a pilot for Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see. I haven't seen the pilot. I don't know if it's seeable. Is it seeable by no, people? No, it's super secret. I have not seen okay. it. Yeah. yeah, it's really exciting to sort of bring the site to life in the form of a fake human being. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell me about, tell me about what the, the pilot's about or what the premise for the show is. So it's a satirical late night talk show hosted by a woman in the style of Colbert Report. Um, 
so the host is in character. She's sort of an embodiment of privileged white feminism. Her heart's really in the right place. Um, she gets it wrong a lot. And she also s- simultaneously, like many women, is dealing with a lot of outside pressures to um, meet all the double standards. Yeah. And it has correspondence um, that kind of help bring reductracy like articles to life um, and in terms of how to's and how to live your life, um, you know, according to kind of big media. Mm-hmm. And um, and we also have sketches and uh, celebrity interviews. And so well. how did how did the process of did you film the pilot already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we filmed it. How, and how that was that fun? That must have been fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, it's definitely challenging to. I don't want to say we're making up a new format, but it's sort of a mishmash of different things in a new way. So it was a challenge to sort of bring that all together and make it feel cohesive and tight, but it was fun. How did that come together? Or how did that come to be, come about? Did somebody, was that something you guys were actively pitching out there trying to? Yeah, we've had the idea for a while and um, we're sort of slowly honing it down. And then we paired it up with Jax Media, who produced Amy Schumer's show, Brad City, Samantha B, um, and they've been a really incredible partner. They helped us uh, film a pilot to bring to Comedy Central before we shot this pilot. Um, so it's been really nice to have them in our corner and sort of understanding this new world of women's media that we're trying to be a part of. Yeah. Who do you think in like in women's media now is there who's like doing it right? I remember I saw an interview with somebody on your team and they were talking about how uh, they like had a boyfriend who used to get Esquire magazine and then they broke up with a boyfriend and they kept getting Esquire magazine and then they <laughs> they were like wow these Esquire magazine thinks that guys are smart and you know these other <laughs> women's magazines that I read don't think I'm smart and that yeah. was like a thing like which are there women's magazines out there or is there women's media that you think is doing a great job? Yeah, I mean, Teen Vogue definitely broke the mold in terms of, like, doing content that they did not have to do, but they felt compelled to, and they're doing great. And I feel like they've really led some good work to come out of a lot of other places, too, that you wouldn't expect. Uh, Honestly, I would kind of bring it more down to, like, individual writers and journalists Mm. over publications. But, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of smaller publications. I'm trying to come up with any names, but there, you know, there's like smaller blogs and sites online. That yeah, are, the establishment, um, yeah. the root. I, bitch media has always yeah. been consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so what's up? Uh, so Reductorist won the best uh, humor site, web a website at the Webbies this past year. What's uh, what's like upcoming for? like global takeover (laughs) I mean hopefully a TV show but you know we've always said like whatever Oprah has done for women's media we want to do for women's media satire so (laughs) you know hopefully that what's your stance on Oprah um firmly pro not gonna yeah yeah hard yes on Oprah (laughs) (laughs) Uh I actually when we were in we were writing our pilot I saw her outside the building and in the morning and I lost my mind like because it's sort of like you can't see anyone bigger than Oprah like I mean the only other person I've seen on that level in public is Beyonce and it's just like you have to like stop your whole day to process what just happened like (laughs) (laughs) uh we definitely have a couple of like products that are kind of like extensions of um the reductress kind of mantra and and uh, ideas coming out, but nothing we can talk about really specifically yet. Um, 
yeah, we just kind of like hope to extend what we do into like every way possible. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you're doing great. You have the book, uh, you have the podcast, you have the pilot, maybe it'll turn a TV show, you got the site. I mean, can't complain. <laughs> Hopefully, it all ends up with like me in a garden and like Instagramming a cornucopia of food. <laughs> Like Oprah, mm-hmm. that's really all I can hope for. <laughs> a big basket of heirloom tomatoes. Yes. Well, Beth Newell, Sarah Papalardo from Reductress, founders of Reductress, thank you for joining us on the Webby Podcast. Thanks yeah, for thank having you. us. Thanks so much to Beth and Sarah for stopping by. Make sure to check out their site and their podcast, The Reductress Minute, for hilariously satirized takes on the week's most popular news story. And follow them at Reductress, R-E-D-U-C-T-R-E-S-S, on Twitter for even more laughs. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or share your feedback with us on Twitter at The Webby Awards, T-H-E-W-E-B-B-Y-A-W-A-R-D-S. And I'm at DMD Likes, at D-M-D-L-I-K-E-S. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies. Our producer is Sebastian Aday. Editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is, hopefully, sleeping. And this is The Webby Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.